Ephesians chapter 4. And on the today's references, are, the list is little, but there's a lot in there. So we're going to get going this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we have been looking at Satan's church, and we looked at about seven little different things about it. Uh, it's identifiable. You can see it around you. You can see it in the world about you. You can understand who, what it is and when you come to Scripture. In Scripture, it's called Baal worship, uh, the vain religious system. The Lord calls it of Israel and so forth. And you see, we've, we've looked at that. We looked at the issue here of uh, leading captivity captive and who was captive and what was captive and so forth. And this morning, I want to kind of, I want to go back in here to a passage in Ephesians 4 and really begin to look at God's answer. And this morning, we're going to kind of look behind the scene, and we'll do this this week and next week and just get some information and just get some thinking for you. I, I told you Ephesians 4. Look in Ephesians 3. Um, Ephesians 3, just kind of go back a chapter. If, if you will look there at verse 16 with me, Ephesians 3:16, that, that he, and the he there would be the Father, verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he, that's the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. And as we begin, I read that with you. Now go to chapter 4. Because as we begin to look at the issue here of how God is answering this and so forth, we're not looking, there's a ton of information. There's just literally hours and hours of study about creation and how God created things. And I don't want to do that. I want to jump right into the, the victory. Because he has a plan and, he, and we see it and we, he talks about it here in Ephesians 4, verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he, and that's going to be Christ, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. The ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose of everything is the end of verse 10, that he might fill all things. And he's got, there's a, there's a look into what's going behind the scenes in the parenthesis. Now, what you have in verse 8 is you have, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, there's some gifts that have been given to men. Verse 7, he says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He, he gave some gifts, verse 11. By the way, and he gave, past tense. These have ceased today. The gifts are not in operation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 walk you through that. In our first hour in Romans 12, starting next week, we're going to walk through the, the gift issue because we're there in, in chapter 12, verse 6 and 8. And we're going to see that the fact is, is that the gifts stopped working with the completion of the Word of God. If you look there at verse 12, for the perfecting of the saint, I'm sorry, verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Those three major gifts for the, that are there, he gave them for the communication of the sound doctrine to the church, the body of Christ as a whole. Verse 13, first word, till. There's a timing. There's a time that these gifts are going to come to a conclusion till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, 
under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I don't, not get, I don't want to get into all the gift things today. We can, we'll do that at another time. What I want you to see is, is that when he gave the gifts, when he led captivity captive, he's doing it from a position that's far above all of it. He's ascended up on high. And the gifts are given. They have, uh, again, they've been replaced by the completed word of God. You see that thing in verse 13 there? Until, until we come into the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith isn't when you see Christ face to face. That's what the, the covenant theology people teach. Okay? It's the unity of what? The faith. That, when you talk about the faith, context tells you what he's talking about. He's not talking about your faith in Christ dying for your sins. We're in Ephesians. You should have already had that hammered and settled in Romans 1 to 5. He's talking about this doctrine, this group of doctrine, the walk and the life and, and the identity, that doctrine, sound doctrine given to Paul, given to you and I. That's why chapter 3, he starts there about, you heard of the dispensation which was given me to you, word. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote a four and a few words. He completes the picture. The, he completes in his writing the fullness of Christ. The, the fullness of it. So in, in verse 413, unto a perfect man. Hold on here. Look over at 2 Timothy chapter 3. When you think about this issue about the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, he says for that we're to study the word, right? He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of truth, that word of faith, that, that issue of we have the truth and what are we to do with it? We're to divide truth from truth, not truth from error, but truth from truth. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is given. Now, I wish there was a period right there. <laughs> Because that would stop all the nonsensical, extra-biblical information crowd. All the scripture is given. It's given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That, why? That, the purpose. Why is all scripture given? Why is it profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness? That the God, man of God may be, what? Perfect. All right, well, what does perfect mean? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's what it means. It doesn't talk about not messing up. It doesn't talk about living a, a clean life and a life that you never have a, you know, a hangnail. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about perfect maturity, growing up. How do we grow up today? Well, we grow up with the Word, with all Scripture, script, the stuff written. The stuff is there. Now, so when you come back to Ephesians 4... It's the word working in you today that's going to equip you, that's going to motivate you, that's going to cause you to come and to do the, and live as who you are in Christ. That's why identity truths of Romans 6, 7, and 8 are so critical to have in our understanding because who are you? What am I doing? Why do I do this? Why do I make bad decisions? Have that thinking fixed in your mindset to understand that, you know what? When I make a bad decision, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because we're not under the law. We're under what? Grace. But sin should not have dominion over you. You know why? Because that's not who you are. In Romans, that's Romans 6, 14. In Romans 6, 7, 6, 6 and 6, 7, he just said you're crucified. You are freed. Duh. We always say we're free from sin, but it's freed. There's a D on the end of that word. It's a done deal. And when God looks at you, he looks at you as free from that bondage, that hook. Colossians chapter 2 says your circumcision with the circumcision made without hands. There's a spiritual operation of God that comes in and literally cuts you away from the bondage of the old man. And he sets you free. And if you don't know that and you don't understand that and you don't live in that, then you're going to make bad decisions and then you're going to reap what you sow and everything. And then you're going to get frustrated and yet it's right here, isn't it? See, It's right in Scripture. Here's who you are. Who am I? I'm this in Christ. Now, go back to Ephesians 4. I can get off on all that. <laughs> okay? 
Otherwise, we'll never get through, and Linda will yell at me again for being overtime. She told me this morning, she goes, you will be done at noon. I said, yes, ma'am, I will. <laughs> aye, aye, Captain. So we're going to do my best to be done at noon, okay? So if I, if I quit mid-sentence, you know why. It's noon, okay? I'm just kidding. But that's what it is. Ephesians 4, verse 8. In Ephesians 4 to 8, again, when he led captivity, when he ascended up on high, what did he do? He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. I want to look at this because of verse 9 and 10, the parenthesis. A majority of the time, the parenthesis, verse 9 and 10, gets skipped in teaching. They just move on because they don't understand how to handle it. Because com I'm going to talk about some common ideas and so forth, and we'll show you, hopefully from Scripture here, what they are. The, the parenthesis of, of 9 and 10 is the explanation of verse 8. When he ascended up on, when he ascended up on high. Verse 9. Now that he ascended, where is the Lord Jesus Christ today? He's ascended up on high, far above all. Principalities, powers, mights, dominions, throne. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll get over there in just a minute. Where is he? He's not in here. He's up there. And from that vantage point, what did he do? He led and he gave. Okay? There's some things that he's going to do here. But before he could ascend, verse 9, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. He first, he had to do what? He had to descend. John 1. We'll go over to John 1. He had to, he, he originates in heaven, doesn't he? In the third heaven, let's be specific. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So it's not, and we've looked at that under the Satan church study and the gen, darkness back there. It was God leaving himself, leaving creation. Genesis 1-1, he creates it perfect. It's golden. It's there. Between 1-1 and 1-2, the adversary falls. He, he, he sins, 1 John says, and he's fallen. And then, and darkness uh, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon it. What happened? God took himself out. He hung a curtain over heaven and hid his glory, Psalm says. And he hides himself from him. And then verse 3, he says, that he, what did he go in and do? He creates light. He says, let there be light. Now, that's not the light of the sun. That's his light. He opens the curtain up a little bit, let light shine in. And then he calls the darkness night and day and all that. We got all that. But the darkness here is, more, is not just the sun going out. When it's Wednesday night and we leave, we turn the lights out. You know what it is in here? It's dark. Until I what? Reach over and turn the light switch on and then there's light. That's an artificial light. By the way, it's not a light that's of the moonlight. You know, moon reflects the light. This is the light that's coming out of God himself. There it is. The darkness that comprehended it not. It's a spiritual darkness. Now look at verse 14, John 1, 14. And the Word, there, the Lord Jesus Christ, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What do... First, what did he have to do? He had to descend. He's up here. He's up here in that third heaven, and what's he going to do? He's going to come down here where man is, isn't he? He first has to descend. He's made what? Flesh. Galatians chapter 4. I'll wake you up here in a minute. Come on now. Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4. Paul says it this way. 4.4 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, 
What did he do? Right on the time when it needed to happen, when the time of Daniel's 70 weeks, the time schedule given in Daniel 9, when it was time for him to come, what was he? He descended. He came. He came down, and you know what he did? He, go back to Ephesians 4. He came in, and he was made flesh. Ephesians 4, verse 9. Now that he descended, that it is, but he, that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Talk about that in just a minute. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Every word in that ver- these verses is important. By the way, I'm in Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. Might as well stick something in there. We're going to run like a rabbit and come right back as a turtle. All right? Every word in your Bible is important. There's not a word just used to fill up space. They're key. They're critical. You have to notice them. You've got to pay attention to them. You've got to read them. What does he do? He's made of a woman. He comes down, spends 33 and a half years, doesn't he? He dies at Calvary. What does he do in Acts 1? He ascends up. But when he ascends up, he doesn't go far above. He just ascends up. And remember what he's doing? He's sitting, remember? Until his enemies are made his footstool. Then what's he going to do? He's going to return. But 4.10 says, what does he do? He ascended where? Far above. And it's from that position that he's going to reach down and save Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and to dispense the dispensation of grace. And the doctrine about the church, the body of Christ. It isn't from this. Here he's sitting. He's waiting for what? To come back. It's Israel's program. Israel's program's been interrupted. So where does he move? What's 410 say? He did what? He ascends, he moves up. He, he, he stands, remember Acts 7? What's he doing? He's standing in Acts 7. Stephen sees him. He's ready to come back. And then, but where does he go? He moves out of it. Why? Changing program. Did I lose you? You've got to think about it. Every word's important here. When he moves verse 9 and 10 we see the mechanics of him moving we see the mechanics of what he does as the victor he's won the victory he's leading captivity captive we see a picture here of a victor that has vanquished his enemies and is now moving towards something else He takes his enemy captive. Colossians 2, we'll get over there. He's going to make an open show, triumphing over it daily, all the time. Do you know why God extended grace beyond the Apostle Paul's life? Colossians 2.15, so he can just stick it to the devil one more day. Stick it to the devil one more day. Not in a vicious, mean manner, but in a, to the spoils belong the victor. I beat you, I've conquered you, I've led you captive now. And the leading the captivity captive, and we talked about it with Satan's church, we're going to expound on it a little bit this morning. The idea here is that Christ won the victory and has taken us out of satanic captivity. He took creation out of satanic tech captivity and placed Satan and the adversary, the, he is the adversary, and his cohorts into captivity. And the mechanics here is what we're reading. And here's God's answer to it. And here's what God says. This is what I did. This is why I've done it. That, the end of the verse, he might fill all things. And that's, it's this, the mechanics here are so important. And I want, you to, I want to see this with you over the next couple weeks, several weeks actually. Come back with me to Psalm 68. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 8, real quick. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
Do you, 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 verse 8 is a quote out of Psalms 68, verse 18. So let's go back there. On, uh, Psalm 68 and verse 18. All through the book of Ephesians, Paul quotes the Old Testament at least four times specifically. He makes an allurement back to the Old Testament, Psalm 68. And he quotes the Old Testament. And he's going to do that so that you and I, so that the reader, the believer, that we understand that the person he's talking about is the same person that the Old Testament was talking about. So the Jehovah of the Old Testament is who? The Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament but also of Paul's epistles. Follow that. He makes this allurement back to it. And what happens is, is what Paul is doing in the revelation given to Paul is he's completing the whole picture. That's why you'll hear me say Paul gets that capstone revelation. He gets that end of the progressive revelation because in order to understand the old, you got to have who? Paul. And in order to understand what Paul's getting at and trying to show you and trying to teach you is you, is you got to get him. He's got to be there. You can't just take out the 13 epistles because what happens then is there's some things in that Old Testament, there's some things in Hebrews to Revelation that don't make any sense because there's information missing. It's all connected. That's why in Peter he says no scriptures of private interpretation. That issue of private isn't you in your own head in your closet thinking it through. It's private in that yanking it out of the Scripture. No, its design is to be left where it is because it links it all together. And it puts it all together in this wonderful picture of what God, the Godhead, the Trinity, is doing. you got Psalm 68 now. Oh, that was so you can find Psalm 68. Look at verse 18. Now, Psalm 68 is a second coming passage, okay? It's going to fit in right there in Acts 7 with the stoning of Stephen. What I need you to look at is in verse 18. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Now, notice that verse and compare it with Ephesians 4, 8. And you instantly begin to see some differences, don't you? Look at Ephesians 4, 8. Hold on to Psalms 68. So you know what happens when you see differences, don't you? You rip the verse out or rewrite the verse so it fits. No. You begin to pay attention. You begin to look at it. Notice 68, 18. It's thou. See that? What's Ephesians 4 say? 8. It says he. Whoa, wait a minute. There's a mistake. No. Something's going on here. What's the he? What's, who's the thou? Psalm 68. If you look at verse 4, sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah. That's a short form of Jehovah. And rejoice before him. So the thou is who? Jehovah. Jehovah of the Old Testament. Jehovah, the Messiah of Israel. There he, Jehovah, the great I am. Fill in the blank. Whatever you need, there he is. But Paul says he. Again, that connection to the God of the Old Testament, Jehovah, is the same one over here that he's talking about. It's the same one. Have you ever wondered why in Timothy Paul would say, according to my gospel, David was raised again, you know, and all that stuff, and the seed of David and all that, and the people go, huh, what's going on? It's because it's, we're talking about one man, one person, the son. There's no two sons. There's no multiple Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one, and the one that the Old Testament talks about is the one that Paul is talking about. It's the same one. It's just being preached differently. We preach Jesus Christ, right? But according to the revelation of the mystery. And that's important to, find, to follow here. 
By the way, Paul does that. I gave you Deuteronomy 32 there in 1 Corinthians 10. Deuteronomy 32, Moses says, you're not following the rock, capital R. You're going over with the little r. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, the rock, capital R, is Christ. Same guy. Okay? When you develop that and you begin to think about that, what's he doing? He's making the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul is making a connection here. And that connection is what needs to happen. Now, notice in 68.18, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord might dwell among them. Now, what's happened in the passage, and because of time, just we can't spend a lot of time in this, is it's second coming. What happens at the second coming? The Lord avenges. It's the day of the Lord. Boom. He, he's going to do what? He's going to come, and he's going to, uh, he's going to come down, and he's going to deliver Jerusalem from the enemies, and he's going to go into Jerusalem. He's going to set up the king kingdom, and then the blessings are going to flow out. That's what he's doing there at the end of that. And he's done what? Because he came and defeated the enemy, delivered Jerusalem, avenged the enemy, what can he do? At the end of verse 18, for the rebellious also, he can do what? He's received gifts for men. He's over here now being the blesser. Am I making that clear, what he's doing? Okay? But notice what Paul, how Paul says this here. By the way, you go over there, and you know what David does in 1 Samuel 30? David goes in, wins the victory, and you know what he does? He gives the spoils to the people that fought with him. He lays them out for Samuel 30. What's the, what is Jehovah going to be able to do? He's going to be able to go in there and he's going to be able to give the gifts. He's going to be able to give the blessings to those that he has liberated. Now notice Psalm 68, 18. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast what? Received. What's Ephesians 4 say? He led captivity captive and what? Gave. That's a little different, isn't it? In one, he's receiving the gifts from men, and in Paul, he's giving the gifts. Same guy, thou and he. What's he doing? He's receiving, but he's also giving. In Israel's program, he goes out, he conquers, and he receives the gifts from men. In Israel's program, you know what he's going to do? He's going to set up his kingdom, and from his kingdom, the blessings are going to flow out to all the world. But it's based upon him doing what? Winning the victory. If he doesn't defeat the enemy over here, he can't give. He's, he's not the victor. He's the loser. <laughs> okay? Got to walk. But Paul changes it to what? He gave gifts to men. Jesus Christ, go back there to Ephesians 4. Jesus Christ won the victory. Not just for himself. But he won it. He spoils the adversary, 4.8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He won the victory, not for himself, not so that he could have the spoils, not so he could receive, but he did it with the view of what he won at Calvary. That's what we're going to talk about. Being shared with who? With everybody all men he descended first he won the victory so he's receiving so he can do what give it out that's what he's doing and what Paul's picking up on is is you know what he's doing he's doing this so that he can do that look at Acts 2 to see the see the picture Acts 2 
In Acts chapter 2, you have the day of Pentecost activity. Acts 2, look at verse 32. Acts 2.32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. 2.33. He has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. What did he do? Because he went and died, was buried, and rose again the third day, what, did he, what, did he, what was he able to go do now? Send the gift of the Holy, Spirit, Holy Ghost to the nation of Israel here. He couldn't do it prior. He had to do it when? After. Follow? If you look back up there, oh, I think it's in John. Doggone it. Well, I think you get the point. Look at John 7. Maybe you don't. I'll give you another one. John 7. John 7, 37. John 7, 37. In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now watch verse 39, because it's in a parenthesis. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why? Because that Jesus was not yet, what? Glorified. Where has Christ not been yet? To Calvary. He hasn't died, been buried, and rose again. But you come to Acts 2, and in Acts 2, what do you have? Acts 1, verse 8, he's ascended up in there. And in Acts 2, he's glorified because who showed up? The Holy Spirit said. He says, see, look, guys, I went and won the right, and the gifts are the spoils of the war. And now I received them because I won the right. I received them. Now I can turn over here, and I can give them. But what I'm giving is something new here today. What was Israel getting? the kingdom, and so forth. But there's that other realm. Now go back to Ephesians 4. So Paul makes some changes to the quote to catch your eye, to say, wait a minute. The verse says thou, he said he, it said receive, he said, what in the world is going on there? And you know what that causes you to do? It's called study. It's called getting there and figure this thing out. And what's he doing? What Paul is emphasizing is that he won the victory. He, was, he led captivity captive. And because of, the, of that victory, he was able to take the benefits of it and pass it down to men. If you look at the end of verse 7, according to the measure of the gift of Christ... That gift comes out of His grace. It comes out of His mercy. It comes out of what He accomplished at Calvary. What did He accomplish at Calvary? He defeated the enemy. The victor goes to spoils. He says there in Isaiah, let him that is going to contend, come on, let's contend with me. Come on, let's get it on. Let that adversary come and let's get this battle raging. So when He led captivity, when he ascended up on high, what did he do? He leads captivity captive, and then he gives some gifts to men. He's able to do it because he won the victory on the cross. He ascends up on high. And what happens now is in verse 9 and 10, He's going to explain the mechanics of his ascending up on high. When he descended, verse 9, but it, that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Here's where some people will say that when Jesus Christ died, he went to the torment side of hell. When he paid for your sins, he literally went to, to hell, to the torment side of hell. Hell has two compartments. 
Hell in the Old Testament sits back here. Okay, Lazarus, rich man and Lazarus, that, that look into the peel back of the earth. I know some people say that's a parable. It isn't a parable in the passage in Luke. If it is a parable, that means the reality of it is far more important. It's far more deadly. It's far more greater. Because all a parable does is gives a little smitten of understanding of, of the real big thing. So if hell and Luke and rich man and Lazarus is a parable, then the torment side is far worse than what's described. And the good side, the Abraham bosom side, is far better than what's des described. So calling it a parable is just stupid. Sorry. It's just ignorant. It's, it's, it's looking at that passage and saying, this can't be true, so it, to explain it away, it's got to be this. No. What happened? That rich man and Lazarus are buried, aren't they, in the ground. They go down, and there's a gulf down there, and it's called hell. One side is torment. The other side is Abraham's bosom. When the Lord's on the cross and he looks at the, that thief, he says, today you'll be with me where? Paradise. There's a joke in there about a paradise, pair of dice, okay, but anyway, uh, boom, okay. Paradise, what happens in the torment side? Just what it says, torment. So you know what they say? They say that when Christ died, he went to here and paid your sins. Now, we're going to talk about this in greater detail next time because in a couple of weeks because that is total heresy. And it is a, it is a doctrine of devils. We were talking the last time about Satan's church. I didn't even get into the doctrines of devils yet. The doctrines of devils, this stuff is dangerous. So you know what they say? They say, see, he went to hell to pay for your sins. Listen, folks, when Christ died on the cross, he suffers a transformation of his soul in those three hours of physical darkness and three, the same three hours of spiritual darkness that's called, Revelation calls it, your second death, where your, your soul is deposited into the lake of fire. He goes through and experiences for you in his inner man that second death. When he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He just told and said, Father, forgive him, and now it's my God. What's going on? What has happened to him? He's transformed from my fa Father, forgive him, the Son, to I am nothing, Psalm says, but a worm. I'm not even a man anymore. I'm a worm. And in his inner man, in his soul, he's a man. He's got a soul. God, think about this. What does he experience? Your second death. He went through it. He doesn't do it down here. He does it on the cross. That's where it happens. When he says, it is finished, it either is or it isn't. If he says it is finished and then he's got to go down here and do something, then he's a liar, not worthy to be believed, and it's not done. Figure it out. This ain't Brian, Brian surgery, brain surgery. Sorry. It just came out funny. Uh, well, it isn't Brian surgery either, but Brian, brain surgery. And literally, that was a slip of the tongue, okay? Sure, Rick, sure. What's going on here? When he says it is finished, what's finished? By the way, it is finished, he says that, and then he does what? Bows his head and gives up the ghost. There's his death. So to have somebody, so he doesn't go to hell, to the torment side, to deal with your sin. It's taken care of. On the cross. So then what's he talking about when he says he goes down to the lower parts of the earth and all of this stuff? He, when he's talking about, he's not talking about him going into the depths of hell. He's talking about coming to the earth. He's, when he uses that term there, lower parts of the earth, that doesn't always arbitrarily mean hell. Come over to Psalms. Let me show you. Psalms 139. The end of the book of Psalms. You see, folks, how, the question, how did he descend? That's the question. Psalms 139. 
I may have to have some of you run uh, breaker point between me and Linda here this morning because we're going to get done. Psalms 139. Look, if you will, at verse 13. This is David writing. This is that book of DNA that God has. For every, for every human, man, woman, child. Psalms 139, 13. For thou hast possessed me, my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being, unper uh, being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which is the continuance where, where and which in continuance were fashioned, which are which as yet there was none of them. That book of DNA, man, he knew who David's saying this. He says, listen, I was in my mother's womb, and I was curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. In Genesis 2, verse 7, when God takes that dirt and he forms and he makes man, he's dealing with the lower parts of the earth. Come on over to Philippians 2, quickly, Philippians 2. He's not talking about hell. Now, there are places when you read lower parts, he is talking about hell. But here he's not talking, he's talking about what? Hey, he left heaven's glory and was made of, well, he was made of a woman. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about becoming a man, being made human. He descended. Look at Philippians 2. We're going to spend some time here, but just catch the idea. Catch what Paul's thought process here, because when he first descended, it wasn't to go directly over here and do this. He's got a whole thing, a whole life he's got to live. Philippians 2 starts in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with who? Who was he up here? He's God, isn't he? He's the third member of the Godhead. God the Father lives for the Son, lives for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives for the Son and the Father. The Son lives for the Spirit and the Father. This triunal living. Who is he? He's God. But now watch what he does. But made himself of no reputation. By the way, no reputation. When he comes, he's not going to, to impose his reputation of being who? God. Now, he does have godly attributes. And de I mean, he knows what they're thinking and so forth. He doesn't, he's not divesting himself of. He's just sitting there saying, listen, I'm not, I come to do thy will, O God, the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. I'm going to come and do it. He's a mindset. And took upon him the form of a what? A form of a who? A servant. And was made in the likeness of men. He took on a form. He descended from God to a servant. But then that wasn't enough because do you know who else in the scriptures are servants? Angels. They're ministering spirits, aren't they? They go and they serve. They, you know, Elijah's sitting there at the brook and they come and take care of him. The Lord's sitting there and after the the temptation, and they come. and So that's why he's going to say what he says. And being found in fashion, I'm sorry, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. What is man? Man's a little lower than the angels. You see, he could have stopped here at the angel realm and been a servant, but that's not the lowest parts. What's the lowest parts? Let's be a man. You know that they, I, I, I will get the number wrong and you'll forgive me, but they diagnosed your body one time of all of its minerals. You came out to be worth like $6.78. Now, I don't know what it is in today's money, but that's back in the 70s when I was a little dude and it was being hammered home that I was nobody, and this is why, okay? But see, the thing is, is you think about what makes this old dirt bag up. Not much. Lowest parts, what was he? 
he was made in the fashion, verse 8, but being found in the fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It even got worse. He went and became accursed. Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. He goes in and he says, that's not enough. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to do something even lower than what any man would ever do. Where is he? He descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He became man. And when he becomes man, he goes and he, by the way, in, two, in Philippians 2 here, there are seven steps to his descension there. We're going to look at them in a couple weeks. Where he descends down. Come on over to Ephesians 4. Verse 9. You see, folks, Jesus descended down to the place where he could go no lower. He got all the way down to the death of the cross. That lowest denominator. Literally the bottom of humanity. He first descended. Where? To the lowest parts of humanity. That's where he went. He descended down into the likeness of men. 2 Corinthians 8. He descended all the way down to Calvary. He comes in, he asks the apostles, who do you, who do you say I am? They, oh man, you're Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he says, okay, i got to go die at Calvary. And they rebuke him. And they don't understand him. And, they, with, and he looks at Peter and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. And he rebukes him. What's going on here? No, you know why? Because that's bad news. Peter fights him on it, not because Peter's a coward, but because Peter doesn't like to lose. Peter's a commercial fisherman, 2 Corinthians 8. Peter's a commercial fisherman. You know what? The worst thing that happened to Peter was when the Lord said, put your sword away. We're not here to do that. Come and take me. He's like, no, we don't lose. <laughs> Why? Because you don't lose when you're a commercial fisherman. You win. <laughs> and the Lord says, no, I have to go right there. 2 Corinthians 8. He went all the way down. He, so that he could do what? Win the victory. And give the spoils to the believers. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Those steps that he's going to descend. He, he descends down into a place of poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. What well, was he? He's God. He looks at the Father, John 17, and says, Glorify me with the glory that we had over there before all this mess began. Now, the mess is my, okay. He looks at the Father, and he says, Father, I love you, and you love me. Let's get back to that relationship. This stuff can go pound sand. I want to do that. Where did he go? He was rich. But what did he do? For your sakes he became poor. He left. He became a man. Went and walked and did and died. He's ascended. Sits up there far above and he says, Okay, Paul, now it's your turn to take this to every man. He was rich. But for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. What did he do? He won the victory. He led captivity captive, won the victory. And now he can do what? He can give. In Ephesians 4, he's going to give some gifts. But what does he give? He gives that gift of Christ to all them that will believe. So God's answer, looking in behind the scene, God says, you know what, son? You've got to go and do. And you know what the son said? Not a problem. Let's go do it. So that we can do what? 
fill all things up, fill it all up with the fullness of you, and we'll get there eventually. What's happening here? Paul comes in and he says, look, you need to understand what's going on behind the scene. Why he's doing what he's doing. Why is he giving gifts? Why is he doing that? Because of this. Because he can. Because he's the victor. Folks, that's great. That's wonderful. We're not even in verse 10 yet. It's going to get better in verse 10. We'll do verse 10 next time. Because guess what time it is? It's time. Okay? But you've got to think about this. This is a wow. This is higher ground. We're out of the mud and the mire and the mark. We're up here in high ground. We're up in the territory of, wow, look at the wonderful wisdom of God. He's going to do above that which we could even think, let alone ask, but think, and he's going to do it. He was rich, but he became poor so that you and I could become rich in, his, in him. And we ought to be thankful for that because look at what he did. He died at Calvary for you and for me. And he says, look, I make this available. It's, it's, upon, it's unto all. But it's only going to be unto them, upon them that believe. I made it available. It's going to be imputed right here to the believer. And once you do that, I'm going to take you and I'm going to place you into the body and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you complete, and I'm going to give you a life worth living in the rotten, present, evil world that I'm going to have to leave you in. And when you do that, and you begin to understand that, you look over here and you say, man, I am glad he came, and that he descended first, so that he can then go and do. Everything he's doing is based upon his work at Calvary, and we have to remember that. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into it, the instructions that are here for us to have. And Lord, we just thank you for everything that you've given to us in your son. And Father, as we go day by day, I would pray, I pray that this would just impact our thinking in a small manner so that we would just remember who we are in you. And we would reap that benefit alone and every detail of our lives. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's stand.